Americans. How are y'all doing this morning? It's Eric Erickson here. I hope you are ready. It's Wednesday. Wednesday is supposed to be a good day and over the hump day, but you got to get over today to get over the hump. And I don't know the way things are going. We'll, we'll see if we can get over the hump here. Uh, uh, the, the House Republicans in Georgia, I, I want to spend time on this. I'm going to push this off a little bit today because there's so much more important news happening right now. But you do need to understand uh, one thing up front. Uh, they're, they, they've taken now to calling me a liar, and you are a liar if you echo my view that the House Republicans are killing the Hope Scholarship. Uh, they, they're that defensive about what they're doing, and they can't be honest with you about what they're doing. And I, I want to, out of the gate real quick, explain this to you, and then we're going to spend more time later in the show on it. Uh, what they're doing, they've set up this legislation to bring casinos into the state. Remember, they told you we need casinos to prop up the Hope Scholarship. Well, they've written the law so that casino revenue can't go to the Hope Scholarship. What they're saying is that sports betting, if you engage in sports betting in Georgia, that money will go to the Hope Scholarship. But there's a problem with how they've structured it. If you read the language of the legislation, and I'll send this to everyone later, uh, the way it works is that uh, if you engage in sports betting out of a casino, that money will go to Hope. But if you engage in sports betting inside a casino, that money will not go to Hope. And the, they don't know how many people will engage in sports betting out of the casino versus how many will go uh, give sports betting, uh, do sports betting inside a casino. They have no idea. What we do know, the Pew Charitable Trusts have done a pretty comprehensive study of this. And what Pew Charitable Trusts have shown repeatedly is that in states that introduce casinos to prop up up their education funding, their lottery proceeds decline. Now, this is commonsensical. If you're buying lottery tickets and instead can go play slots at a casino, what are you actually going to do? You go to the casino because there you get the free drinks too. Uh, when you go to the gas station to get your scratch off, they're not handing you free drinks. They are at the casino. So you go there instead. So that decreases the money in the lottery. And the money that you spend in the casino doesn't go to the lottery. It goes to this new means-tested fund, which means they will be starving the Hope Scholarship of money. I, this is common sense stuff here, and they're calling you a liar for pointing it out. I, I've got all of this broken down at theresurgent.com right now. I'll send it out further later. I'll spend time on it later. Right now, though, let's talk about what happened with Bubba Watson. How about we roll the tape on what the media said? NASCAR is investigating a horrible incident. A horrifying, racist, jarring, disturbing, heinous, perverted, ugly, cowardly, dreadful, hateful, stunning, shocking, appalling, disgusting reminder of who, again, this sport is for. A noose found in the garage stall of Bubba Wallace. Obviously, this is completely appalling, but do you think it's surprising? No, it's not surprising at all. And NASCAR is often considered a sport that is tethered to white folk, tethered to the South. The Confederate flag in a sport that is overwhelmingly white and certainly dominant among Southerners. The NASCAR has been trying to somewhat move away from it, and I say somewhat in kind of air quotes. They were going to remove Confederate imagery. Uh, to think that that's going to happen in a span of two weeks after all that NASCAR has, has been for all of its existence um, is foolish. <laughs> I mean, my cynicism and sadness is that it's just not shocking to anybody. As much as NASCAR may try to distance itself from that, it's a living, breathing part of their sport. We need to understand that racism continues to be the underbelly of American society. I mean, that th this happens in the year 2020 is just beyond belief. Let's just remember that until the last two weeks, NASCAR endorsed and embraced this sort of 
of performative racism week in and week out by embracing and wrapping itself in the Confederate flag. That is uh, the media commentary on NASCAR. They've rather despised NASCAR for some time. NASCAR is the southern white sport, if you can consider people driving cars in a circle a sport. I, I, I don't want to offend. Come on. Uh, my brother-in-law is a huge NASCAR fan. I got a lot of friends. I've just, I've never, never been into My wife loves it. We've been to a race. Uh, my, my brother-in-law took us to, where did he take us? Um, Richmond, uh, the, the racetrack in Richmond, the D-shaped uh, track up there. Uh, in, in any event, um, the media pounced. They seized on this, uh, and it turns out it wasn't true. If you haven't heard the story, there was no noose. Well, there was and there wasn't. Uh, there was no noose that was tied to to target Bubba Wallace. What it was was a rope uh, that was tied in the shape of an in the form of a noose, as is it was making a handle for your hand to be able to grab hold of securely and raise and lower the garage door. Many of you, and if you have uh, garages that are not automated or, or motorized, uh, have the same sort of setup: a rope uh, w- with a a noose drawn into which you insert your hand that you can raise and lower the garage door. The FBI had 15 people investigate this. They can't arrest anyone tearing down these statues, but they had 15 people investigate this. It turns out it's been there for, for, they don't know how long, but more than a year. They can trace it back going at least a year. The garage was randomly assigned. No one knew it was going to be Bubba Wallace's, um, and and I keep saying Watson, my apologies. This isn't golf, this is NASCAR. (laughs) Uh, Bubba Wallace, um, they they didn't know he was going to be assigned to this garage. Uh, Someone else, a white guy, was assigned last year. and They've got uh, photographic evidence that it existed then as well. Uh, Now, there are a couple of things you need to know. One, uh, reporters ran with this story not because of Bubba Wallace, but because NASCAR released a statement. Bubba Wallace never saw the news. He was told it existed by NASCAR officials who saw it and called the FBI. Uh, he then came out and, and talked about it and, and racism in the sport. And, of course, they made a big deal over the ban of Confederate flags. And there was a Confederate flag parade before one of the races. Someone hired a, uh, airport, or an airplane, and uh, they, they flew the Confederate battle flag over the race. Uh, and the Wallace came out and he spoke about this and spoke about the racism and his defiance of it, yada, 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 yada. But I, I want to be fair and charitable to Bubba Wallace. He was not the person who filed the complaint. Someone else did. He never saw it. Someone told him about it. NASCAR released a public statement about it to the media, at which point the media ran with the story. Uh, say NASCAR says NASCAR reports. The problem is that Bubba Wallace is now doubling down. Here he is on CNN. Have you seen ropes like that hanging from garages? Um, is that is that typical? Don, the, the, the image that I have and I have seen of, of what was hanging in my garage is not a uh, is not a garage pool. Um, I've uh, I've been racing all my life. I've, we've, we've raced out of hundreds of garages that uh, never had garage pools like that. So people that want to call it a garage pool and put out old videos and photos of, of, of knots being um, in, uh, in, in, in their, as their evidence, go ahead. But from the evidence that we have, um, that I have, uh, it's a straight up noose. The FBI has stated it was a noose over and over again. NASCAR leadership has stated that it was a noose. 
I can confirm that I actually got evidence of what was hanging in my garage over my car around my picker guys to confirm that it was a noose and never seen anything like it. It's not something I, I talked to my crew chief about. It. I said, I said, is this something like I, I wanted to make sure we weren't jumping the gun. And I said, this isn't a, a knock. This isn't just a regular old, what you call it. He's like, Bubba, this isn't something that can be done within a second of just tying a knot and being on the way. This so, is something that took time. Uh, you know, um, you know, um, I've seen garage door pulls tied like this. And do you know why they tend to be tied like that? Uh, they, they tend to be tied like that because if you just do your, your basic slip knot, it, it slips down and, and then you just, you, you just, you just got a little knot there. Um, you don't have anything to hold on to. So if you tie it like that, uh, you, you manage to always have a little loop that you can, uh, get your fingers into to pull uh, Listen, I'm sorry. I'm, I've seen them tied like this. Uh, in, in more common than not to be tied like that in, in garage and sheds, uh, when you have that now, he's may not have seen it, but y'all, I, listen, I'm, I'm sorry, but, um, I, I, he, he's not to blame for the story. He didn't hype the story. He's the guy who was told about it. Uh, he went public when people started NASCAR released a statement and, and so he's not to blame. And, but to, to double down on it, I think is, is not good for him to do right now because there are plenty of people across the country with sheds and, and non-mechanized garages who have ropes tied like that, uh, to be able to get their hands in for, for some leverage to open and close the doors. Um, that being said, you know, one of the interesting angles I actually, uh, have found in this, the people on the right who are piling on anyone who took up for Bubba Wallace. Uh, Nikki Haley is under attack for having stood up for Bubba Wallace. K. Cole James is under attack for having stood up for Bubba Wallace. Marco Rubio is under attack for having stood up for Bubba Wallace. Tim Scott is under attack for having stood up for Bubba Wallace. And it's all coming from the right. And, and what this is, you need to understand this, is, is laying down markers for 2024 has nothing to do about the present circumstance. It's laying down markers for 2024. And there is a um, there is an element of the right right now, particularly on the alt-right side of it, that's laying down some benchmarks for, for racial defenses and apologies uh, and anything like that headed into 2024. Uh, if you at all are willing, I mean, look, look at what's happening to, to K. Cole James, the president of the Heritage Foundation, a black woman who is in charge of the Heritage Foundation, who has stories of her childhood of racial injustice in this country, who says that uh, she has overcome it, this country has overcome it, this country is is needs to live up to its ideals, and it perpetually tries to live up to its ideals, and we shouldn't think this country is racist or bad, given uh, that this country is headed towards its ideals at all times, and yet she has pointed out there has been injustice, and we do need to be mindful of it, and we shouldn't sweep it under the rug. We should be willing to talk about it and people are are attacking her for saying and all it is is the truth but there is an element of the right that that doesn't want to do this that that somehow thinks you're 
talking down the country if you point that out. And and I don't think you are at all. If anything, I think you should be willing to side with a K. Cole James who says this country is not racist and doesn't need to be upended. Uh, it's had its problems, and I've seen those problems firsthand, but I've also seen the greatness of this country versus those on the left who are saying, hey, we need to scrap all this here and now. We just need to get rid of the country and start over. And, and that's a real conversation that's happening as well. But all of these are battle lines being drawn for 2024. And it is a segment of the right that does not have a candidate that fetishizes certain candidates, I suspect, uh, and believes those candidates will embrace them. And I don't think those candidates were, which is why I'm not going to name those candidates, because I think they would uh, they would reject all of this. And yet some of these people seem to think they will. And that that's a problem for them, not the candidates. you got a lot of grifters out there. I, I do have to say there are a lot of grifters who are piling on, for example, Nikki Haley because they haven't gotten a, a work contract with Nikki Haley. They're convinced Haley wants to run in 24 if, if the president and Pence lose. Uh, the, the thinking behind the scenes in the GOP is that Pence won't be able to run credibly in 2024 if they lose this time. And and all these people are looking at Haley and saying, oh, she's undermining the president in 2020 by, by clearly angling for 2024, which, which she's not actually doing. She's out there on the campaign trail for the president right now. She's trying to show her loyalty as much as possible. But there are a lot of guys out there who, well, they want another white guy who will write them a check, and they haven't gotten a check from her, so they're going to attack her. And 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 you do need to understand some of what you're going to be seeing in, in the aftermath of this Bubba Wallace situation and in the run-up to the campaign is people essentially saber-rattling against potential 2024 Republican prospects hoping to get a check from them. And if they get a check, they'll shut up. And if they don't get a check, they'll badmouth to people. All of this is about the grift that has taken over parts of the conservative movement. Uh, and and for them to be piling on these Republicans who stood up for Bob Wallace. When listen again, it was stu- it, it turns out to be stupid. Uh, no noose is is good news, as as uh, Ben Shapiro said yesterday. He as well as being attacked for having um, spoken up for Bob Wallace, but Wallace himself never saw it. All he did was he took a report from NASCAR. NASCAR made it public. The media ran with it because NASCAR confirmed it and said the FBI was investigating. And it, the, the real fault is with the idiots at NASCAR. Many of them, I suspect, have garage pool shaped like this who looked at it and said, oh, no, man, that that's a noose. I mean, the whole thing is really absurd. But you know what? It actually is good news. No one did that. Why can't people just celebrate the good news that, no, there was not a racist incident in NASCAR? No, instead, we got to, like, draw battle lines over over a freaking rope um, that wasn't anything other than a garage door pull. So stupid. So many people want to get spun up about so much stuff right now. Oh, flaky internet today. Let's see if we can actually get some level modicum of a stable live stream up on the internet. Our internet in our... Uh, neighborhood uh, where I do the show has just been flaky in the last week. Um, really flaky. Everybody in the neighborhood has been complaining about it. I'm not sure what's going on. I, I, I keep thinking I need to try one of those AT&T fiber lines uh, and put one of those in the house, uh, which several friends of mine tell me I, I really need to do. We'll, 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 we'll see. Uh, at any event, we, we got to get into other stuff. Um, I, I reached out to my buddy Dave Briggs, who used to be at CNN and was an NBC sports guy for a while, to talk about some of this uh, sports stuff. Baseball is coming back. They're going to start at the end of July. You may be able to, in some capacity, see a Braves game before the year's out. There will be a World Series this year. Cause, you know, they, they kind of have to do that. They can't let the Astros... Uh, continue on in any sort of capacity you've got the nationals hanging out there as last year's champs and no one wants the nationals to continue to be world series champs except for the people who live in washington dc uh and and the the 
the Astros, they need their comeuppance again. Uh, you you got to do something. And, of course, we need the Braves back in town. Although, I got to tell you, I went to uh, I, I went to the battery a couple of weeks ago, and, man, it was packed. Uh, the Rocky Patel Cigar Store was still closed, but pretty much everything else was open. The restaurants, most of them were to go, but you could sit outside. You could have a beer. You could eat. It was a nice setup at the Battery in Atlanta. Uh, not nearly as nice as Clayton and Clarksville, I'll have you know. Uh, I, I'm ready to go back to Clayton. Um, but nonetheless, um, we, we got other stuff that we've got to talk about, including did you know, did you know that we now have a Chaz in Atlanta, a, a Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone like they have in Seattle? We've got one in Atlanta. Uh, the, the band of, of uh, hooligans have taken over by force the property around that Wendy's that was burned down. They have, uh, they, they've set themselves up. Uh, they've got uh, guns and they're black. It, it is a dump. I mean, at least the hipsters in Seattle took nice property. This is the burned out remnants of a Wendy's where they're not letting you come in. It's like some sort of commune from hell that they've got going on there. It's ridiculous. Uh, and yet they have it, uh, which is, uh, I don't know, um, weird. And it's only that one little area. It's not getting a lot of attention. But, you know, the, the police don't want to go by there. By the way, one of the police officers involved in the shooting in Atlanta is speaking out. Not not the one in jail, the other one, Brosnan, who who he made bond. And he said he, he's not going to be a state's witness. He's, he's just going to be a witness and uh, that he's going to tell the truth. And the truth is he would have done nothing differently. He did everything by the book. Uh, so did Officer Roth. They did everything by the book. Uh, yes, he did uh, have his uh, foot on Rashard Brooks, but it was standard police training. They He didn't know uh, Rashard Brooks' condition, and he was afraid Rashard Brooks could try to go for one of their weapons if he – wasn't actually incapacitated, but was pretending to be incapacitated, among other things. And he did everything by the book. And I think he's actually right. Uh, he did do everything by the book. And we're going to have to show these police officers a modicum of grace here in what's going on. Now, speaking of grace, when we come back, can we talk about wokeness? Because, man, there are some people who are really firing this up, and, and we need to dive into wokeness. Some of it's slightly repetitive uh, from previous things we have talked about. But I'm starting to see a bunch of churches embrace the idea of wokeness. And, man, your, your church, you'll either get, get heaven or you'll get hell on earth. You're not going to get heaven on earth. And some of them want to try, and it is going to end really badly for them. Uh, this whole idea of empathy, you know, we're supposed to be empathetic. If you're a Christian, Scripture teaches that that Christ was tempted in every way you're tempted, and he never fell into the, never gave into the temptation, never gave into the sin. But Jesus walked a life where he understands what people go through. He can relate to you. He can be empathetic and sympathetic to you because he lived a life like you. But what we're seeing now is this drive for empathy that is an empathy away from uh, godliness and uh, an empathy into the world. You are expected to embrace the world and and uh, a realignment of power within the world 
to to get where the world wants. And you know, the things of God and the things of the world are not ultimately compatible, but you got a lot of the, these woke hipsters out there who are demanding that churches go in their direction and they're leading churches right out of Christendom uh, in a bracelet. Look what's happened to the Episcopalian church among others. Uh, I wanna delve into this wokeness, the sin of wokeness when we come back. Tell your preacher to tune in if you're curious. It's me, it's me, welcome. Ah. Sorry, rearranging things in my office on the fly because my let my son come in and play on my computer last night and, and things got put into different locations. If if you have ever, if you have ever sent anything, uh, if you have ever texted the word data to to the system to, to get anything, uh, you're about to get a text message from me. Uh, and you you probably need to know uh, what's going on. And uh, I'm sending you a text message right now. Um, and uh, you will, well, you you will not be happy. I want you to have to, I'm, if you've ever done it before, it, it's not going to help you if you do it right now. But for those of you who've ever texted the word data to 33777 to get information from me, I'm sending you the link right now. Uh, on how the Georgia House Republicans are planning on winding down the HOPE scholarship in favor of a means-tested program. Now, for the rest of you, just go to theresurgent.com, and you will be able to see for yourself at the top of the page the piece that I have explaining how the Republicans in the state of Georgia intend to scuttle the HOPE scholarship. We will talk about this more later in the program uh, right now, I, I've got I got other people and other things that I want to talk about. Uh, it, it pretty significant stuff going on out there right now in the country. I want to talk about the sin of wokeness. You have heard people probably use the word woke, but you probably have no idea what the word woke actually means. People start talking about I got woke or he's woke. Uh, it, it is a stupid word. The first thing you need to understand is don't take anyone seriously who says they are woke. Because if you are woke, you are probably an idiot. Um, but that that's, that's what they're pushing. Now, what's the deal? Uh, wokeness is about waking up to injustice. And of course, the injustice is a perceived injustice. Uh, there are some people who are really are uh, suffering injustice. And we should be aware of that, but there are also a whole lot of people out there who really aren't uh, dealing with injustice, uh, but they are grievance mongers and perceive it, and we got to wake up to them as well. And, and, and I want to start from something most of you are probably familiar with. There's a movement in churches right now uh, to go woke. And we saw this with a lot of churches when it came to uh, biblical sexual orthodoxy. We've got abandoned. We, we've got uh, loved ones who are, are gay. Uh, they're in committed gay relationships. We need to allow them into the church. We just need to not talk about those parts of the Bible that might be awkward uh, for them and their sin. We'll, we'll focus on other people's sins as well. Uh, instead, uh, we've seen this in the PCA, for example. I'm in the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America, the non-heretical branch of the Presbyterians. 
And uh, we see some people within our denomination who are so focused on loving the sinner that they don't want to even talk about the sin. Uh, there was a conference called Revoice. It was at a PCA church in St. Louis, Missouri, and it finally got rebuked. Uh, at Covenant Seminary is the PCA seminary. Um, uh, a, a, a avoid them like the plague. Uh, it's it's the PCA seminary, and, and I'm, I'm not a big fan given some of the stuff that's going on in the St. Louis uh, Presbytery there, and that seminary being a part of it, it just bodes poorly for the few, long-term health of the denomination. But nonetheless... Um, this Revoice conference tried to make uh, being gay and Christian compatible in that it wasn't just that you were Christian, you were a gay Christian. You were set apart in some other way. Uh, finally, they got, uh, they got, this conference got uh, repudiated, thank goodness. But we've seen this, for example, in the Nashville Statement. Now, if you're not familiar with the Nashville Statement, you should put it on the radar of your church. I'm actually one of the original signatories of the Nashville Statement, which is a statement uh, that is essentially a Christian creed on biblical sexual orthodoxy, on what Christians are for and what they must be against based on scriptural command. And within the PCA, there's a prominent pastor named Scott Sauls. Uh, he wants to be the next Tim Keller, I think, uh, derived from uh, that whole Tim Keller Redeemer Church. He's now got a big church in Nashville, and he was opposed to the PCA adopting the Nashville Statement. He wrote very eloquently about it, and, and to give you a taste of what we're dealing with when it comes to wokeness, let me read to you uh, what Scott Saul said. He said, we agree with most of the Nashville Statement's content. But its matter-of-fact tone, we affirm this, we deny that, strikes us as insufficient for pastoral care, evangelism, and mission. We believe it lacks the warmth and empathy required for navigating something as delicate and volatile as broken sexuality. It also lacks humble acknowledgement from the church, including many of our churches, of how we have at times fumbled and even caused injury to sexually broken people and those who love them. See, it was the, wasn't the words per se, it was the tone that mattered. I mean, you can almost imagine a, a modern pastor of Scott Saul's being transported back to Nicaea uh, and, and saying, eh, this whole Jesus will come to judge the quick and the dead thing. It's so judgmental. A lot of Christians have decided that they want to muddy the faith and dance around hard truths because they want to be liked by the world. Look at what happened with the Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. And the Church of the Highlands has been really active in the Birmingham community. Largest church in Birmingham, one of the largest churches in America. It had a um, it had a campus that was in a middle school. It has currently a clinic for the poor, no-cost clinic for the poor. Serves the poor, serves the homeless, serves the black community, uh, serves the gay community. Uh, does uh, testing, does pregnancy, does crisis counseling. It did the first drive-through COVID-19 uh, testing center in Alabama. You could go to the church parking lot. They had it all set up. They coordinated with authorities. You could drive through, get a COVID-19 test. They didn't charge you for it. Does all of these things. Is highly active in the community. But the pastor liked a tweet. Didn't retweet it, but liked a tweet on Twitter from Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA that praised the president. That's all he did is he liked to tweet. Birmingham City Schools have now canceled the contract with the church. They've thrown the church out of the schools. Uh, the city of Birmingham is severing all ties with the church, all because the pastor liked a tweet on Twitter. 
the, look, the persecution of the Christians is going to come. Jesus says in the Bible that, that you get all these things. You, you get wealth and you get property. You, you get a nice house, but you get persecution too. You can't avoid the persecution. It doesn't mean we need to egg it on, uh, but it does mean we don't. We, we need to be careful in how we want to try to avoid it. And some churches are so focused on empathizing with sinners that they turn in a blind eye to sin. I mean, go back to the Scott Saul statement. We believe the Nashville statement, and all the Nashville statement does is say, we affirm these things in, in biblical orthodoxy, and we deny these things that are contrary to biblical orthodoxy. That's all it does. And, and he says, we believe it lacks warmth and empathy. You see, that what we're getting to with wokeness is, is a sin, and, and you're being dragged in by empathy. You're supposed to be so empathetic to someone, you lose your own soul uh, to, to try to love the sin of someone else. You can't love the sinner without loving their sin, they say. That's a real problem that we've got. Uh, and, and empathy is great. You know, Jesus, the scripture teaches us, uh, lived a human life and, and was tempted in all the ways you and I are tempted and didn't fall into temptation or sin. He understands what it's like to be human. He understands what it's like to be tempted and, uh, but didn't fall into sin. So he can relate to us. He can be empathetic to us, but you've got a situation growing within uh, our society where if you can't be, if you can't fully embrace, embrace what the other side wants, you're not really being empathetic. You've got to be, you're so empathetic, you're dragged into something you shouldn't go into, which gets me to Black Lives Matters. It is a simple statement. Black Lives Matters is a simple statement. It has a subject. It has a verb. It is a simple statement. It is a complete sentence. Black Lives Matter. Al Mohler has talked about this. It is just a statement, and it's true. The problem is that it's a statement that has something else to it. It has an organization with the same name. J.D. Greer, the president of Southern Baptist Convention, uh, got in trouble because he said Black Lives Matter, and Fox News ran it saying that he endorsed the organization, which he didn't. He actually explicitly rejected the organization Black Lives Matter and warned churches not to go down the road of embracing the organization, but Fox News didn't run that part of it. They said he was embracing the organization. He got in all sorts of trouble. He wasn't, but there are some churches that want to embrace wokeness, and so they want to embrace the organization Black Lives Matter. Let me read you some of what Black Lives Matter says about itself. Black Lives Matters, the organization says, we make space for transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. We are reflexively and do, we are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folks. We practice empathy. We engage comrades with the intent to learn about and connect with their contexts. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all the world are heterosexual. Y'all, you see the problem with this? I hope you see the problem with this. What about the movement for black lives? This is the other big prominent group, uh, and it is avowedly Marxist. So Marxist, in fact, that it, they call themselves anti-capitalists. We believe and understand that black people will never achieve liberation under the current global radicalized or racialized capitalist system. We believe in centering the experiences and leadership of the most marginalized black people, including but not limited to those who are trans and queer, women in films, currently or formerly incarcerated, immigrants, disabled, working class, and poor. We believe that prisons, police, and all other institutions that inflict violence on black people must be abolished. 
We believe in transformation and a radical realignment of power. The current systems we live inside of need to be radically transformed, which includes a realignment of global power. This is a Marxist organization using Marxist language. Marxism and Christianity are not compatible. What wokeness is, is not really about being empathetic to other people. It's about a realignment of power. You see, uh, as far as you and I are concerned, if you're a person of faith, Scripture teaches that there's neither Jew nor Greek, uh, there's or neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. We are to see beyond that, to see everyone equal before God. What wokeness implicitly demands is that we actually see these people as black and, and uh, Hispanic or brown in their vernacular, uh, gay and straight and transgender. We, we can't see everyone equal. We actually have to see everyone for how they identify as themselves. This was the problem with that Revoice conference. They wanted you not to be seen as Christian, but as gay Christian, something other than just Christian in and of itself. Uh, that's what the wokeness crowd wants. They want you to be seen as black, to be seen as brown. And to recognize that if you were white, you've had more power. And now it's not about equality. It's not about bringing people up to your level to be equal before God and the law. It's about equity, which means you've got to give up your power and give it to them. And, and, you know, some people do need to give up their power. But by and large, what they want to do is is forcibly take from you and give to others in in the name of equity. No one has to earn it anymore because you, by virtue of your skin color, are thought of as having been it, it deprived them of it, even though you didn't do anything about it. It's, it's not about your sin. It's about the sins of other people and sins of the past. And I'm sorry, but my salvation is an individual thing. There's certainly a corporate sin, collective sin, but it, you can't be responsible for the sins of your ancestors. You got to be responsible for yourself. And wokeness demands you embrace and take on the sins of the past and then are therefore punished or welcome the punishment for the sins of the past. None of this is compatible with the church. It's not compatible with Christendom. It's not compatible with anything in a normal society. It is not compatible with Western thought. It is not compatible with a functioning democracy. We should all be equal before the law, but we should all be colorblind. Remember the thing I talked about with you yesterday that there, there was a, a woman who's, who she's being, she wrote into Slate, which she should never do. Maybe it was a man. I don't know wrote in about their kids, how proud they were of their kids, that their kids don't see race. Their friends are black, they're white, but their friends are black and Hispanic and and they don't care about race. And and they were told that it's bad to not care about race because black and Hispanic people have to care about race. So you too should care about race. No, actually, scripture says you shouldn't care about race. Wokeness is not compatible with Christianity. It is a sin. And we've got in our country right now, the dominant cultural forces demand wokeness. And all wokeness is, is about realigning power structures. It's not really about injustice. If you go down the road of wokeness, you're going down the road to hell paved with good intentions. You're supposed to love your neighbor. You're supposed to take care of the widows, the orphans, the poor, the refugee, the immigrant. You got to be bold in your faith. You got to love the sinner, but you still have to reject the sin. You can't elevate empathy so much that you're also elevating sin. You can't preach wokeness in the gospel at the same time. And yet there are a whole lot of people out there demanding that you do. Be very, very worried. A whole lot of people are going to try to split the baby on this, and it's going to go badly for them. Look at all the people who've tried to have honest conversations in the last few weeks, including Louis Giglio. Had an honest conversation, but he said something the crowd took offense to. And instead of saying, I would have said it differently, nope, they wanted to burn him down for it. There's no grace in wokeness. Grace only exists in Christendom. You got to be really careful about this stuff. 
The phone number here is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let's go to Athens, Georgia, and to Walter. Walter, welcome. How are you? Hey, Eric. How are you, sir? First time caller. Love the show. Thank you very much. What's going on? I'm glad to pull over. Oh, well, uh, I was calling in, you know, the whole defund the police movement that we're seeing, especially here in Athens, uh, a lot of talk about it. And I guess from what I understand, part of their proposal is taking some of the funding from the police and and, and hiring, like, mental health professionals that, you know, you call 911 and they'll – screen the call and they'll send a mental health professional out and right. and I'm married to a mental health professional and that is the one voice I don't think we've heard from because they just assume that all these mental health professionals are going to want to go get out in these potentially dangerous situations so you know I I just find that interesting and wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, you make a good point because I really haven't seen now. There have been a lot of politicians out there talking about it, but I haven't seen a ton of people in the mental health community come out on this. Uh, And also, you know, in in a lot of these situations, you let's say you you get a call from someone who they're holding their family hostage or something. They're having a mental breakdown and things are starting to turn violent. Um, You may want a, a mental health person there, but they don't also have the police training that they may need. Uh, And I don't know that I'm opposed with partnering social workers with the police in some circumstances, but it doesn't seem like they're really doing a thoughtful approach to it. They're just trying to throw stuff out there and see what sticks, which is probably the worst way to make public policy in America today. And that seems to be what, what they want to do. Now, what does your wife say? Oh, well, I mean, she's, I mean, one, she, you know, I'm like you, Eric. I'm married up, right? And uh, <laughs> yeah, and and it's it's and it's and it's it's complicated because, uh, you know, just for her physical safety and the other people that she worked for, it's just, you know, she's she's not a she's not a big woman, right? I mean, she's a uh, and and just going into these situations, I mean, it's it, it's complicated, and I guess it's a little frustrating. Uh, just from the mental health field is I don't think they've really been asked about this, you know, uh, yeah. and that, you know, again, all we're hearing is, is politicians talking about this, you know, best case scenario, but it's, you know, we're, it's, it's, they're, they're, they're walking into some, they would be walking into some dangerous situations and I know it'd be other trainings, but again, I just wanted to give you that nugget. And as you're talking to politicians and having these conversations, um, I would just encourage you to kind of, Ask the politicians what mental health professionals they have counseled on this, because I would love to know. Yeah, yeah, you know that. The, listen, look, I appreciate the call so much because you're you're totally right, uh, and it is something that we gotta. There, there you know, and again, it, it really does feel to me like a lot of these people who are saying this stuff are rushing out, uh, talking out of their rear ends, that and they haven't really considered the situation. Because I, I, I kind of do think that um, I, I kind of think there are situations where it would be good to have a, a mental health professional or a social worker present. But I don't know that they're, they're contemplating the situations where that would be best when they do this sort of stuff. And it would be great to have input uh, from the, the mental health community 
uh, of, of workers and social workers on what to do. There are certainly guidelines I know that are being developed and in certain areas of the country where they are doing programs like this that are working successfully. But it just kind of seems like at this point, people are just throwing stuff out there. Hey, let's defund the police. Well, no, 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 we can't actually do that. Let, let's come up with a way to defund the police without saying we're going to defund the police. And that's what it's all about. Um, by the way, uh, some of you may need to defund your, well, spending habits. I, I know I've been in that way in the past. Uh, and if you need help reprioritizing your spending patterns and your money and your budget, check out dynamicmoney.com in all seriousness. Uh, I use them. I've used them well before the show started. I was using them and I was delighted that they wanted to be an advertiser on the program. They're here in Georgia, if uh, where I am. If you're listening anywhere in the nation, though, they can re- they can help you. Uh, you go to dynamicmoney.com. They can meet you where you are via Skype, via FaceTime, via Zoom, whatever. Uh, they can help you get a budget. They can help you learn financial planning. They can help you teach your kids good financial planning. Uh, it is really worth that they take a whole life approach to financial planning. I cannot recommend uh, them enough. Chris Burns, who fills in for me sometimes, although not on the 4th of July week because he's going with me to the beach. We actually are friends. Uh, and he, But his company, they do my, they help me with budgeting and home refinance and all that. They don't actually do the refinance. They got people to go to and they look at you from an equity position of what can you take out of your house to pay off debts and reprioritize things. It's been great for my wife and me. If you're stressed out about money right now, if you're stressed out about making ends meet, and a lot of you are right now, go to dynamicmoney.com right now. Uh, call Chris Burns' team. Sit down with them. They are 100% fee-based. They're not going to try to sell you something. Uh, they're not going to make a commission off of you. They're just going to give you honest advice. It's so worth it. I want you all to know that uh, the fine folks from Quip send me things that I can say if I want to say nice things about. I, I don't need to. My wife, my daughter, myself, we're, we're trying to get our son to get better hygiene, and so we'll get him equipped. But we all use Quip at our house. Uh, my wife used, uh, well, you know, the, the big toothbrush that uh, it's got a recharger, and it's like 99 bucks, which is ridiculous. But she used that for a while, and you got to take the charger with you. It's, it's such a pain in the butt. Um, you know what? This is my podcast, and I, I can say it was a pain in the ass to use. Uh, I, I hated it. I got one for myself. It was such a waste of money, too. Um, if you've never used the Quip toothbrush, it is the toothbrush you should get. You'll never have to look back. You get a new brush head. You can do a subscription with a brush head every three months. They'll send you. It takes a AAA battery in this brush head. It'll last you three months. It gives you a great toothbrush. Uh, the thing that sets it apart is it vibrates. Great sonic vibrations clean your teeth, clean your gums, and every 30 seconds it pulses to change the position of your mouth. So you get the dentist-recommended two-minute toothbrush. You cover your whole mouth. It helps you. It is just well-designed. You can tell that dentists and designers designed it together, not just a bunch of idiots saying, hey, let's make money off of people by selling them a high-fangled toothbrush. This is actually a good toothbrush. It actually does a good job, and I highly recommend it. I really do. I am such a – it is effusive praise because I really use the Quip long before – they advertised. Uh, why? Because my doctor told me I needed one of those pulsing, sonic, vibrating toothbrushes, and they all suck. The Quip toothbrush does not suck. It is a great toothbrush. And if you go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now, you'll get your first refill for free. That is your brush head refill pack. Uh, you'll get it for free, the first one. That's your first brush head refill pack. You'll get it for free. Getquip.com slash Erickson. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Erickson. E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Uh, Quip is the good habits company. They'll get you into good habits brushing your teeth. And wow, that's a long, long podcast read for a toothbrush, but it's worth it. I'm telling you, get the Quip. You will love it. 
Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here all over the place. Hi, Athens. I miss you. I need to I need to be in Athens uh, just because. Uh, the phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, let me, uh, so I'm, I'm supposed to do this in the next next segment, but I'm going to do it now because it just, I, I love them and I'm excited by them and guns, 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 guns went shopping for guns this past weekend. And I wound up not buying stuff, but, but wound up looking, uh, went down to Barrow automotive, uh, which is also the greatest gun store in, in history, but nonetheless, uh, true precision is our newest advertiser and they're awesome. True dash precision.com. Some of you have emailed me that you're in your office looking and you can't actually see the website because your office firewall is blocking them. Why? Because guns, your office firewall is a ninny and is blocking you from seeing an awesome, awesome company. Now, what does True Precision do? Well, uh, you, you, you want a new barrel, you want a new slide for your gun, you want something custom, you want a custom grip, uh, you, you want a better trigger. Man, uh, if you got a SIG, if you got a Glock, uh, several other brands, they can make them, they can do it. I've got, uh, they got me a Glock 43X because uh, they were concerned that I didn't have anything. Uh, the, the the guys, their listeners, and they were concerned that I didn't have a gun that was appropriate for concealed carry. They sent me one. Man, I got to I got to pick the, the slide. It's It's got a great camo pattern. It's really awesome. I got an upgraded grip uh, from what Glock put on there that I love. Uh, I got new sights on it. They are amazing with what they do. Uh, they really are. It is, it is my favorite gun, uh, and I take it everywhere with me. I won't show it off to you, though. Um, actually I, I'm lying. I shouldn't say that I let my concealed carry permit lapse. And so I had to stop taking it everywhere with me, but I will, as soon as I get the concealed carry permit fired back up. Uh, but seriously go to true dash precision.com. That's their website. True dash precision.com. And, uh, they are, they are fantastic people and they do such great work. They are really awesome. And I'm delighted that they sponsor the program. Now I am going to go back to the phones here because if you weren't here in the last hour, we had a call about social workers and police. There is a growing movement now in the country to defund the police without actually defunding the police. They're taking money from police and giving it to social workers. And essentially they want to pair the police with social workers. So when you show up at a call, like for example, Richard Brooks in Atlanta, who's passed out in the Wendy's because he's drunk, um, that you have a social worker with them to, to take care of, help diffuse the situation. Or a, you, you, you get somebody who they're thinking of committing suicide or they're holding their family hostage because they've had a complete meltdown or something. You send a mental health expert with the police to deal with this. Uh, and they, this is how now the language of defund the police has evolved. Uh, it is something that, for example, Tim Scott is looking at in his legislation in the Senate is not to reduce the amount of money given to police, but to actually give some additional money to police departments to hire mental health professionals who can work with the police and teach them how to defuse tense situations, but also at times go with them to situations to help defuse situations themselves. And uh, John is listening from Athens and has some insight into this. And so I wanted to get John on here. John, welcome to the program. Hey, Eric. How are you doing? The first time caller here. Love love uh, the show. Been listening for a very long time. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling. What's going on? Yeah, so I just wanted to call after that last caller, actually. Um, I actually used to work at the police department from the town that that last uh, gentleman was calling from. So I thought I'd just call just to offer a little bit of my uh, insight on um, how it works, actually, in um, Athens. And I know there's a lot of police departments throughout the state of Georgia. 
uh, we actually have the capability of calling to get a social worker to the scene. I, I, I can remember a lot of the mental health calls that we would go on if there was a situation where there was someone who was either a threat to their own life or to someone else. Um, we could call at two in the morning and actually have a social worker come out to the scene probably within the hour. Um, and so that's, that's, that's a capability that a lot of police departments um, have. I don't know how capable it is throughout the uh, whole state, but it is something that's out there. Um, and then just to that last gentleman's call, um, I'm very much on the same page with him where we would still be required to be there on scene because we were there for the safety of the social worker, uh, whether it was that or whether it was a defect call that we would go out to. Usually they would call to ask the police officer to go in there with them because they're a very, very tense situation. So it just goes to show that if you're going to defund one, put money into the other, it doesn't really make sense because you're still going to need money to keep a police officer there to keep them safe. Yeah, it, it, I'm glad you said that because that's something Tim Scott has pointed out, that you, you can't take money away from the police and give it somewhere else because then you're not going to have the police to go protect those people. Now, let me ask you something. Uh, with with the law enforcement <clears throat> connection there, I, there is concern I've heard from some police that they feel like if they have social workers who were to go with them, that they need to be trained. And so you need to spend money to train some of these social workers. If, for example, some of the proposals are, as opposed to calling a social worker to come to a scene, they ride around with the police and that we would need to train these social workers uh, just for their own safety in the process of doing that. Right. Well, I mean, if you're going to put them in a police car and tell them to go out there to the scene with the police, then then sure, you're going to need them uh, to be somewhat trained. But I mean, I guess it's kind of, the next question would be, okay, are we going to ask them to start carrying guns? Are we going to start? Right. It's kind of a slippery slope, I think, from there. Um, I, but I think whether or not we can get these services where it's kind of like a 1-800 number where you can call to get someone there to see, and it, it, it seems like that might be a cheaper alternative and probably a more feasible one. Yeah, that, that, I'm thinking so. Listen, John, thanks so much for the phone call. I appreciate that very much. It's, it's good insight. In fact, the Democrats are balking at uh, Tim Scott and his – effort for police reform. I, I want to play for you uh, some audio. This is from Senator Scott, who is deeply frustrated with the um, it, deeply, deeply frustrated with the Democrats refusal to even advance any police reform at all if it's if they can't get everything they want. Let me ask you this question, Steve. I hear and I read in the House bill that they want more information so they can direct training in the right direction. That's the foundation of our bill. They say they want more training around de-escalation. That's in our bill. They say they want to have the chokehold banned or reduced except for the life of the officer. That's in our bill. They say they want a duty to intervene and, and, and studying the use of force. Those are in our bill. They say they want us to look at recruiting more uh, officers to reflect the diversity and the demographics in their city. That's in our bill. They say they want to have uh, more information on best practices. That's in our bill. They say they want to talk about mental health experts. That's what the president's executive order says on co-responders. It's in our bill. Drug addiction, in our bill. Homelessness, in our bill. The, the, their priorities, fortunately and unfortunately for them, matches pretty well with the president's priorities, and those two match matches really well with my priorities and the Senate priorities on the Republican side. So now we're having to ask a political question. If you get two-thirds of you want what you want out of the gate, why would you change the rules and change the goalposts? They said chokehold was the litmus test. 
but we had already put it in our bill. So they changed the goalposts. They do that because it seems like they're more interested in campaigns mm -hmm. than they are the vulnerable communities they say they serve. And when you feel like you own that vote, mm -hmm. you quit working hard for those people. There you go. He's absolutely right. He, he's daring to call out the Democrats for taking black voters for granted, that we're not actually going to work to improve the situation, just going to keep people riled up. And that's really unfortunate. But that's where the Democratic Party is. It, it, listen to Karen Bass, a state, uh, a, a congresswoman, uh, responding to Tim Scott on police reform. Well, you're not going to get them to do that unless you sit down, pass the Senate bill, and start negotiating. Do you think that should get well, done? Well, Mitch McConnell, I don't think Mitch that McConnell's that... not going to change anything before he brings this for a vote. Well, I think that um, in terms of the justice in policing, the bill that uh, Senator Scott has is really a bill that doesn't respond to the tens of thousands of people that are on the street today that are calling for transformative change. So, for example, chokeholds are not banned, but chokeholds are only to be used if the officer feels that he or she is in danger of their life. That's the same thing that officers say every time a a person winds up dead, a suspect winds up dead. They always say, I was in fear of my life. One of the things that we do in our bill is we lower the standard to prosecute officers because right now, and we've seen too many videotapes where you see an officer shooting somebody running away or killing somebody in a chokehold like Eric Garner and nothing has happened, no charges are brought. And that is because of the law. And that's what we're trying to fix. That's the type of transformative change that people want to see now. I think we would do a disservice to all of those people who have been out there every day for more than a month now if we passed a bill that was more symbolic. I absolutely want to negotiate. I would love for us to get to a point of going to conference, but I'm not sure that that point is tomorrow. Now, I'm happy to say that the bill is going to pass out of the House with overwhelming support of Democrats. We are hopeful that there are going to be some Republicans that come along. I have a long list of my Republican colleagues to call today to see if we can move anybody. But uh, but I don't believe that the way to begin would be by voting on a symbolic bill. A symbolic bill, it is. A symbolic bill. Uh, never mind that it, there's clear progress made in, in Scott's bill, but notice what she's actually saying here. She she doesn't want to even, I mean, we know how a bill is becomes law. It passes a, a branch of Congress. It, it passes the House of Congress. It goes to the other. They make changes to it. They debate it. They vote it. It goes back to the original House. They agree to the changes or they make more changes. She doesn't even want the starting point here. See, this is the issue here. Democrats don't actually want to change, and, and Tim Scott is right, and Karen Bass kind of gives away the lie here. They don't actually want to fix the problem. They want the grievances. They want black voters convinced that Republicans aren't trying to fix the problems. And if Republicans were to pass a bill that fixed the problems, well, that would expose the lie. So better to obstruct Republican efforts to actually fix the problems than to let Republicans fix the problems, because then you got a campaign issue saying the Republicans aren't fixing the problems. I mean, that's all this is about. This is this is a campaign stunt. Can't defuse the situation when we've got angry voters out there. And if we can harness their anger to beat Trump, uh, let, let's do it. That's the problem. These people are just fired up and they, they, they're they playing with fire, though. 
They are stirring a pot that could be in a tense situation. It could be diffused. Tim Scott wants to diffuse it. And here's the thing. Tim Scott knows what he's talking about. Yesterday, behind closed doors in the Senate, Tim Scott began playing his colleagues' voicemails that he has gotten. People referring to him as the N-word. People wishing he would die. People say all sorts of things. And he played those for his colleagues. He understands the issue. He understands the problem. He wants solutions. And the Democrats don't want solutions. They want to keep the pot stirred. They want to keep people aggrieved. They want to keep people angry. And if they can do that, they think they can ride the anger to an election. The problem is they'll have the tiger by the tail, so to speak. They'll be like many churches trying to go woke. They'll hope the mob comes for them last. Scott is trying to fix a problem that exists, objectively exists. And the Democrats are calling that effort symbolic because they don't want you to pay attention to it. And Tim Scott is right. The Democrats are taking black voters for granted. The Democrats are taking black voters for granted. They, they've already got their vote. They know they're going to vote Democrat. So let's just keep the, let's keep the fires raging. Let's not actually solve the problems because they're already our voters. We, we don't need to fix anything for them. They're already ours. We don't need to persuade them. And they're worried that if Scott is successful, some of these voters, because, you know, the president has a compelling message to black voters. I realize those of you who hate the president won't acknowledge it, can't recognize it. But the president has a very compelling message to black voters in terms of jobs and the economy prior to the virus, what he was doing, uh, it, criminal justice reform and the like. Can't let those Republicans get an inroad with those voters. That would be bad for the Democrats. So they just got to stir the pot and hope nothing ever gets solved, which is really problematic. There is some breaking news happening right now. Uh, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals has ordered the case against Mike Flynn dropped. Uh, Naomi Rao, a Trump appointee, is the judge who made the call. The left savaging her as being a Trump apparatchik on the Court of Appeals. No, listen, uh, I, I couldn't understand why they were continuing the case other than Judge Sullivan uh, wanted to be a jerk about it. Uh, when the prosecutor comes in and says, we would like to drop this case, you drop the case. Uh, when the prosecutor says we're not going to pursue the case, you don't pursue the case. Judge Sullivan, of course, has bought into the left-wing narrative about corruption uh, and the Trump administration and so decided to to stir the pot and drag it out. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals has intervened and said, no, look, the, there's no case here. If the prosecutor says there's no case and the DA says there's and – the, and the defense says there's no case, there's no case. You have to drop it. And now they're attacking the judge for pointing out that the prosecutor and the defense – who prosecutes the case if not the prosecutor? Do we do mob justice? Do we, do we take Mike Flynn out to some woke crowd and say uh, deliver justice? Justice as you see fit? No. Uh, the rule of law is you let the prosecutor prosecute. And when the prosecutor says we're not going to prosecute, you don't prosecute. Um, so breaking news here, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals has ordered that the case against Mike Flynn uh, be dropped because the prosecutor said the case should be dropped. And so guess what? It should be dropped. Um, it, it, there's no if, thens, or buts about it. Um, now, there's some local news here. And by the way, I want to get into the casino stuff because, man, 
the the Republicans in the House of Representatives in Georgia are scurrying about like roaches when you turn on the light. They are livid uh, that I exposed what they're doing and that you guys are calling them on the carpet. Um, they they I mean, here's the deal. In all seriousness, they thought that they could rush this through in this abridged session that ends on Friday. They thought they could rush it through, and they got caught. And now they're not only denying it, they're calling me and you liars for calling them out on this. And you need to take action. You need to tell them to save the Hope Scholarship. Their casino legislation will kill the Hope Scholarship. I want to explain it to you. Uh, I've actually got Alan Vila from the Fox Theater coming on uh, later in the show to talk about the negative impact on uh, places like the Fox Theater if this passes. Uh, There are all sorts of economic consequences they're not thoughtfully dealing with. Text ACTION to 55444. One of the big issues is it'll kill the Hope Scholarship. Uh, You do also need to know Senator Leffler is dropping a piece of Second Amendment legislation. Uh, This is from Stephen Gutowski, who's been on the show. Uh, Leffler's bill, the Gun Owner Privacy Act, would ban the use of federal funds to store personal information collected during background checks attached to gun purchases. Federal agencies are barred from creating a database of gun owners, but the legislation would give citizens recourse for any infringements on their privacy. The law would not apply to Americans who fail background checks. Those whose records are illegally stored would be able to sue agencies in federal court and collect damages. She's also introduced a resolution condemning what she said were laws that unduly inhibit or infringe upon the right of a law-abiding individual to carry a firearm outside their home. The resolution attacks limits on gun carry permits as unlawful infringements of the rights granted by the Second Amendment. She calls on the legislature to step up to protect gun rights. Um, now this is, she's in this hotly contested race with Doug Collins. Doug Collins has an issue of his own. Doug Collins has, uh, is, is focused on the police in Atlanta and he wants to, um, he wants to pass, uh, he wants to get Paul Howard to recuse himself. Doesn't want the legislature to pass something. I'm sorry. My, my, my brain is getting jumbled with all this breaking news that's happening right now. Uh, Doug Collins wants, Paul Howard pushed out of the prosecution of uh, the police officers who shot Rayshard Brooks. There's no way uh, the attorney general has come out and said there's no way for him to remove Paul Howard unless a judge forces Paul Howard to be recused or uh, he's indicted. Now, the GBI may actually wind up getting Paul Howard indicted. And, of course, I suspect that part of what's going on with Paul Howard is Part of the reason he's pursuing these police officers is to set up a defense that the GBI is prosecuting him. Isn't it ironic? He prosecutes these police officers for election purposes and his own defense if he gets indicted. He's politically motivated in his prosecution. Now, the reason is this. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation is is investigating Paul Howard, who set up a charity. This is the DA of Fulton County in Atlanta. He set up a charitable organization to combat youth violence. He got hundreds of thousands of dollars from the city of Atlanta to go to this nonprofit, and then he paid himself a salary of $195,000. I wonder what's going on. That's why the GBI is looking into him. And so what did he do? As all this goes into the election, he decides to prosecute these two police officers. And Doug Collins has taken up for these police officers, and good for him. Uh, The rest of us need to as well. All right. 
I'm going to try to live stream the show again, uh, which I had tried. And then, you know, the Internet these days is not cooperating with me in our neighborhood. There's a bunch of construction happening in our neighborhood, and it's it's. Uh, for some reason, it's wrecking havoc on our internet, uh, from Cox. I keep thinking I need one of those AT&T fiber lines. Anyway, we'll see. Uh, this half of the program is sponsored by First Liberty Building and Loan. They're here in Georgia, but if you're listening nationwide, they can help you anywhere, uh, get into the payroll protection program if you need help. They can't guarantee it, but they will certainly try to get you into the payroll protection program. Uh, the reason being is uh, you've only got, you got uh, until the 30th to try to get into the program. And if you're going to try to get into the program, uh, you got to get all your paperwork in ASAP. Uh, There's still some money available and the Frost have told me, now listen, I do need to tell you, I've gotten some people who are very angry uh, who have emailed and said, oh, why are you recommending I go to First Liberty because they're not getting me into the program? One, they can't guarantee it. But two, this is the thing you need to understand. It's not them. I, In fact, when I was in Clarksville last week, had a lady come up. She was rather upset by the delay getting into the program. And it's this uh, small business administration is just causing all sorts of problems. And so don't blame your lending institution, whether it's First Liberty or any other lending institution, don't blame them for the problems. It has a great deal to do with the SBA screwing things up on their end and not really having the system to accommodate the flood of stuff. Uh, that's come into the system. But the banks are doing a a great job trying to get people into the system. I highly recommend First Liberty Building and Loan. Uh, I know the Frost family. They've been doing this since 1993. But more importantly, if you're a business that needs access to capital, and I mean, we're talking, they do 10, 10, $20 million deals. Uh, you should reach out to them as well. Uh, you go to firstlibertyga.com is their website. You can apply on their site, get more information, get their phone number. Um, but uh, really, really wanted to, to recommend you do that. And thanks to them for sponsoring the program. Now, we need to talk about the virus because the virus is not only not going away, it's it's growing in some parts of the country. In fact, we're headed to Hilton Head in two weeks for the 4th of July. And there's a huge spike in viruses in South Carolina. What I am being told is that, yes, the virus is on the rise, but the populations in which the virus is on the rise are explainable. So, for example, the Los Angeles Times has a story on a huge surge in the virus in Los Angeles, and the Los Angeles County officials are saying it's not time to panic this time. It's not like last time. Uh, We're not overwhelming the hospitals. We're not overwhelming ICUs. We're not overwhelming ventilators. Uh, and, but you, we also know where the virus is coming from. It's coming from clusters in the population. The same holds true, for example, in South Carolina. Uh, I have talked to a number of friends of mine over in South Carolina who are in government there. And and the thing they say is there, and the same in Florida as well, um, that they're not, yes, there is a huge surge in both States. What is different now, as opposed to three months ago is that it is younger populations that are getting the virus. Uh, there's a huge explosion at Myrtle Beach in South Carolina. And it's coming from beach parties and beachgoers and restaurateurs who are not wearing masks and not socially distancing. It's not coming from the people taking the standard precautions, uh, like, for example, socially distancing, washing your hands regularly, wearing a mask when you're in public. If you wear a mask in public and you wash your hands and you avoid crowds, uh, you're going to be okay. In fact, I was talking to a buddy of mine uh, 
about our South Carolina trip who works over there. And he says, look, you you don't go out to restaurants. Uh, if you do go to a restaurant, you eat outside, not inside. Uh, you stay away from large crowds of people and you wear a mask in public. Uh, otherwise, uh, stick to your beach house and enjoy the beach. There are still problems out there. One of the things that the left has been pushing, though, because of the president's joke, you know, the president, he shouldn't have done it. Let's just acknowledge it created a new cycle where there didn't need to be one. Uh, the president said that he he told them to slow down the testing so that they could reduce the number of people testing positive. It was a joke uh, and the media took it seriously. Here's the vice president. You chair the, the president's coronavirus task force. Has he asked you to slow down the testing process? Oh, no. The president's uh, made it clear from very early on that we were to forge a seamless partnership uh, with governors around the country. And at this point, I think we've done more than 27 million tests across America. And when the vice president said that, they, they said, what? Well, this is a partisan hack. How can we believe the vice president? Well, over to you, Dr. Fauci. He is a member of the task force and my colleagues on the task force, to my knowledge, I know for sure, but to my knowledge, none of us have ever been told to slow down on testing. That just is a fact. The president never told them to slow down on testing. Never told them to slow down on testing. There there you have it, friends. There you have it. That's from Dr. Fauci, a man we haven't heard a lot from lately, but we're hearing a lot from now. And uh, he says, look, people are trying to paint a conspiracy. There is a problem with the virus out there. You, you do need to understand uh, the virus is surging. Summer vacation for a lot of people is starting to be in jeopardy in parts of the country. Schools are at rush. Do you know in northern Virginia? Uh, the good progressive enclave of Northern Virginia right outside Washington, D.C. has announced that they're probably not going to have school this year. No, no, not that your kids will homeschool uh, remote learning, but that they won't have school this year. Uh, they will do programs for kids during the day and there will be grades, but uh, there really won't be much learning. They don't really they haven't really explained this, that they will offer up grades because they have to by law, but they really won't do standard school of any sort. Uh, parents are not happy. This could be a campaign issue, frankly, uh, for the Republicans to capitalize on when you have these progressive enclaves basically ditching school altogether. I mean, it's social justice and all, you, you can't do this. Uh, that's not going to be good. But the other thing, y'all, are the masks. Have you heard about Oregon? A county in Oregon, I forget which county in Oregon it is, uh, stupid county in Oregon, has decided to impose a mask requirement. Everybody's got to wear a mask unless you're not white. The silence is intentional. Everyone has to wear a mask Unless you are non-white, if you aren't white, if you're a minority, if you're black or Hispanic or Asian, you do not have to wear a mask, but white people have to wear a mask. Uh, what sort of mask do they want the white people to wear? Uh, would NASCAR officials complain depending on the mask? Hmm. Uh. <laughs> Well, NASCAR called the FBI. All these white people are in masks in Oregon. What's going on? <laughs> um, this is stupid. This is stupid. But I, I, I got to tell you, this is this is a pet peeve for mine. Um, listen, can we all acknowledge that the CDC and the World Health Organization told people not to wear masks? 
But the World Health Organization also told us that the the virus wasn't spreading communally and that it wasn't spreading people to people in China. And they clearly lied about that. They they lied about the masks. And, and Dr. Fauci's now come out and said, yes, we told people not to wear masks because we didn't want to run on masks because we knew there was a shortage. We didn't want to tell people there was a shortage and we needed first responders to get the masks first. Now wear a mask. And people are, well, you told us that and now you're telling us that y'all. Don't believe them. Don't believe the experts. Look at the countries that are requiring masks and look what's happening. Uh, the rate of the virus is, is is dropping to zero in these countries. Uh, can you can you not believe your own eyes? In in Slovenia, they imposed a mask requirement. New Zealand did not impose masks, and New Zealand forced everyone to stay inside. No going out. No even grocery shopping. You were essentially assigned a day where you were given permission to go grocery shopping. And New Zealand got rid of it. But a country like Slovenia didn't do what New Zealand did. They just told people to wear masks in public and they've wiped out the virus. In Taiwan, they've told everyone to wear masks in public. They've wiped out the virus. In Korea and Japan, Japan let the virus go wild uh, and and then told everyone you got to wear a mask in public. And, and they're getting rid of the virus. Their viral outbreak per capita was worse in Japan than here. And now it's it's better than here because people are wearing masks. Same in Singapore. They had a second outbreak in migrant worker communities in Singapore imposed a, a universal. If you go outside, you must wear a mask. Now, some of this, I think, is dumb, like wearing a mask at the gym, I think is stupid. But if you're in the grocery store, wear a mask. If you're in a restaurant before you eat, uh, wear a mask. If you're, which is dumb, I realize, just don't go to a restaurant or sit outside. Uh, don't go to a crowd. Don't go to a protest. Uh, don't don't go a political rally. And if you do, wear a mask. And you can, you can be mad at the experts for lying. You can say the experts got it all wrong. But do you just not believe these countries? Do you not believe the data? Do you say, oh, well, well, they're lying about their data? I mean, y'all, I can lead you to truth, but I can't make you accept it. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I can tell you the truth, and I can't make you accept the truth. That seems to be what's going on here. Um, part of this is 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 there's there's a there's something running in society. Let me go off on this tangent here. In fact, let me record this. I feel a good monologue coming on. There's something happening in society, and I don't quite understand it, where if if someone politicizes something, you decide it must be political. So, for example, the president and the left have politicized masks. And so you, too, now have politicized the masks. Conservatives, or Republicans, I should say, Republicans because the president has said mask wearing is BS, have decided mask wearing is BS and my liberty. Progressives, because Barack Obama and the left have said wear masks, have decided you must wear masks and, and you should be driven from society if you don't because you're you're a, a hickerub and an ignorant Trump supporter if you don't wear a mask. And the data is actually on the left side right now that the masks actually do work in public, but because the left has turned it into a partisan thing that if you don't wear them, you're a hick, a rube, a nasty person, a Trump supporter, you must be driven from society. The the right has just doubled down on this and said, by God, I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm going to protest you. You can't tell me what to do. My liberty. And the president, of course, has done it as well. You only things only become political when you make them political and and both sides on the right and the left these days have decided every freaking thing is political. Not everything is political. Where you eat doesn't need to be political. 
Where you shop doesn't need to be political. What you watch on TV doesn't need to be political. The left has tried to make all of these things political, and people on the right have responded by embracing the politicism of it and may amplifying the politics of it and, and trying to do a, a cultural tribal divide. Both sides are doing cultural tribal divides. Some stuff just doesn't need to be political. Where is the actual fact and data? The actual fact and data is on the side of people who say, if you all wear masks, the virus has a harder time transmitting. It makes sense. Most of the people who are contagious don't even know they're contagious. A lot of them don't even get fever. You wear a mask, it improves the situation. I don't like wearing a mask either. I have noticed in Bibb County where I am a, a real uptick in the number of people wearing masks everywhere, which is a good sign. But people got complacent. They stopped wearing masks and the virus is spiking. People got complacent. They, they were tired of being shut in. You know, we could get everyone in America out of their homes tomorrow and back in their offices if people just wore masks. The whole world could go back to normal if people just wore masks and washed their hands. But everybody's decided to be political about it now and everybody's dug in their heels and you got half of them saying, you can't make me wear a mask. I can make you wear shoes and pants outside, but I can't make you wear a mask. Yeah, I can make you wear a mask if I'm the government. If I can make you wear your seatbelt, I can make you wear a mask if I'm the government. And yet you've you've politicized this in some way. Um, there, there's nothing political about it. it. It's it's being a good neighbor and it's stopping a virus from transmitting. You want life to go back to normal. The quickest way to get life back to normal is to wear your mask if you're in a crowd. Now, I'll tell you, I went to Panera Bread yesterday at 7 o'clock in the morning. It had just opened, and I got one of their spinach bacon souffles. Man, I have a weakness for them. And I went in without a mask. And you had to go in one direction, come out a back door, and, and walk around. And when I walked around, there was a lady. She's probably listening right now because she went into Panera Bread, and she was wearing her mask. And she says, you've been telling us on the radio to wear a mask, and you're not wearing a mask. She caught me, wasn't wearing a mask. And you know what my response was? I was the only person in the restaurant. I, I literally, uh, there were two people behind the counter and me. That's it. There were three of us, and those two were wearing a mask. I had no reason to wear a mask. You can use your common sense here. If you're going into a grocery store and it's closing time and you're the only person in there, you don't need to wear a mask. You're going into a Panera Bread and you're the only person in there right at opening other than the employees who are all wearing masks, you don't need to wear a mask. But if you're going in the middle of the day and there's a crowd in there, wear a mask. Pick up your food and leave. Don't eat in the restaurant. Wear a mask. I mean, use common sense. But let's not distract from the fact that if every one of us in a in a setting where there are people around us wears a mask, we're going to stamp out the virus faster and life can go back to normal. It's not an issue of liberty. It's an issue of common sense. It's not an issue of liberty. It's an issue of keeping a virus from spreading. It's not an issue of liberty. It's an issue of being a good neighbor. It's not an issue of liberty. It's an issue of responsibility. I don't understand my friends who are just, oh, the government's trying to make me wear a mask. They can't do that to me. It's my liberty. 
No, actually, the government actually can make you do that. The police power of the state is actually pretty impressive in what the government can make you do. And you probably need to go to law school if you think the government can't make you wear a mask because the government actually can make you wear a mask under the police power of the state. But we don't need to go into that right now. All I'm telling you is you shouldn't be screaming about my liberty. You should be screaming about, hey, we need society to get back to normal as quickly as possible. So let's all put on a mask to stop the virus from spreading. Who the hell cares that someone's decided to make it political? It's not actually political. It's about a virus. The virus does not care if you're a Democrat or Republican, a communist, an atheist, a Christian. It doesn't matter. It's a virus. So put on the damn mask and stop complaining. And then the world can go back to normal. All right. Uh, I need you to do me a favor. Wherever you are, this is super important. I need you to call all of your friends and tell them to turn on the radio. If they're not where they can get to a radio, they can go to the resurgent.com and, and get the live stream there or their local radio stations live stream. And at the top of the hour, I need to explain to you how the Republicans in the state house intend to get rid of the hope scholarship because it is abundantly obvious at this point that they are working to means test the hope scholarship. And that's going to completely upend the purpose of the hope scholarship. And when I come back after the next commercial break, we're going to talk about the hope scholarship and the Republican effort to get rid of it, which is sad to see them doing, but they are right now. Uh, we, we need to talk about what's happening in Madison, Wisconsin. Elsewhere, Madison, Wisconsin is a highly progressive enclave. It's been run by Democrats for years. And uh, a Democratic state senator last night was assaulted for filming Black Lives Matter protesters as they began tearing down statues of some revolutionary war heroes and others who actually came to this country and fought for the Union. One of the statues was of a Norwegian immigrant who came to this country and joined the Union Army to get rid of slavery and then used his family fortune to help the freed slaves build their lives. They tore down his statue, completely ignorant of it. And Washington, D.C., a statue dedicated to Abraham Lincoln. It has a a freed slave kneeling before Lincoln. The statue was uh, paid for with money raised from freed slaves. Frederick Douglass spoke at the dedication of the statue, and they're trying to tear down that statue. Here is Mitch McConnell on the floor of the Senate. Our founding fathers are being roped to the ground like they were Saddam Hussein. It's no surprise that people who want to say our country is intrinsically evil are so frantic to erase history that they'll break the law to do it. Erasing history is the only way their claims could carry any water. Americans know that an imperfect nation built by imperfect heroes is still the most perfect union the world has ever seen. Amen to that. And the president talking about what happened in Seattle. This is a choice of two futures. The left's vision of disunity and discord or our vision of equal opportunity and equal justice. Every American should take a long look at the bedlam in Seattle, because that's exactly what will come to every city near you, every suburb and community in America, if the radical left Democrats are put in charge. I got to tell you that the data out there uh, from the pollsters, is that the president of the United States is a deeply unpopular incumbent. I tell candidates all the time when I was a political consultant, uh, know when you're in the minority, even when you think you're right. And most of you listening love the president. Uh, and and please do understand, polling-wise, he's actually more unpopular today than at any time in 2016 or since he took office. 
This is the most unpopular he's been. And you can say it's a concerted effort by the media and, and the Democrats. That's true, but it's also working. And the reason Joe Biden is doing as well as he is in the polls has nothing to do with Joe Biden. It has to do with Donald Trump. It's pretty telling uh, that the Democratic campaign is to keep Joe Biden in a basement and just make it about Donald Trump. But I think the president can harness this issue and win in November. I think the Democrats will overplay their hand. We'll get into that. But right when we come back, tell your friends to tune in now how the Republicans in Georgia are planning to kill the Hope Scholarship. You need to know it. You can be prepared to deal with them. Some of you don't know what to do with your kids for going back to school. Those of you who have kids, uh, look, I love my kids to death, but if I had to homeschool them again, they'd be awesome bartenders, and that's about it. Uh, there are options for you, though. If you homeschool, if you're if you're having schooling problems with the virus this coming year, uh, Laurel Springs is something you should consider. Online learning, it might be new for you, but for Laurel Springs, they've been doing it for nearly 30 years. Experts in online learning, they are. They've got tools. They've got curriculum. Uh, they can get your child maintaining their learning unhindered, a capable, bright. They'll keep your kid engaged. Um, listen, I, I realize it, it seems weird to, to talk to you about a, a private school that does online learning in this day and age, but we're in the COVID-19 situation and your kid's school may not be open, particularly if you're sending your kids to a public school system. Uh, like in Northern Virginia, they're not even thinking they're going to have school in the fall, which is bizarre. You got to do something. So I want you to consider Laurel Springs. Uh, just go look at them. You can register your child at laurelsprings.com slash Eric today. You can receive a waived registration fee if it's something you're interested in. It's laurelsprings.com slash Eric for your waived registration fee. laurelsprings.com slash Eric. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here all over the place now, particularly this hour. Those of you listening nationwide, I got to focus on my friends in Georgia. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Republicans in the state house in Georgia have concocted a plan that will detrimentally harm and ultimately end the Hope Scholarship in favor of a means-tested program the Democrats want. I need to walk you through this because the, the Republicans say I'm lying, that I don't misunderstand. You know, I, I, I was a lawyer. I actually in sometimes uh, wrote legislation for a living. I do know how to read, uh, and I need to explain this to you. There's a, there's a legislative maneuver called stripping. Um, no, it, it, it's not what the, the lobbyists and the legislators do at night. Uh, it's what they do in the day. They take legislation that's come over from another house, uh, from the other house, and they strip it of its language and insert uh, related language. The Senate sent to the House a constitutional measure, and the House of Representatives in Georgia stripped uh, its Senate Resolution 841, stripped it of its language and inserted language to authorize a casino. They know that the governor would veto it because it would negatively impact the Hope Scholarship. And so they're trying to get a two-thirds majority of both houses to put it to a vote to the public. And the way they will put it to a vote to the public is ask the public if you're okay with casinos and horse tracks and sports betting in Georgia. Uh, but with every constitutional amendment in Georgia, there is a resolution that is an enacting resolution and actually goes into detail about what the constitutional amendment will actually do. So you get the, the, the simple version on the ballot and you get the detailed version of the resolution. Well, no one pays attention to the resolution. I have. 
And they're calling me a liar for telling you the truth, for pointing out that it would ultimately end the HOPE scholarship. Now, to do this, we need to go back for five years. Members of the state legislature in Georgia have said we need casinos and horse track betting in the state because the lottery revenue is in decline and we need new revenue sources for the HOPE scholarship. So they have come up with casinos and horse track betting as the way to fund the HOPE scholarship. That money would go to the lottery, and then the lottery would would fund uh, both HOPE and the Zell Miller scholarship. Now, for those of you not in Georgia listening, let, let me tell you, we've got a HOPE scholarship in Georgia. It came from Zell Miller, and they've broken it apart into two things. The Zell Miller scholarship gives a full ride to state colleges in Georgia, subsidizes some private schools in Georgia for valedictorians and salutatorians or students with a 3.75 Zell Miller GPA. They calculate it using a formula what your GPA is, and you'd get a full ride under Zell Miller. The more common scholarship is the HOPE scholarship, which subsidizes about 80% of a state college for a student who makes a 3.0 or higher. Used to be a 3.5, they lowered it to a 3.0. And uh, a lot of students take advantage of this. It's always in need of funds because of the demand for it. It is something a lot of parents bank on to help their kids cover the cost of college in Georgia. And so it minimizes a parent's need to save, which actually helps Georgia economically because the parents don't have to save the money for education. They can put that money elsewhere, including into the economy. Well, they said they needed casinos to prop up hope. They've written legislation, except the legislation ensures that casino dollars will never go to hope. Let me read you the language that the House inserted into Senate Resolution 841. Proceeds derived from the taxation of the paramutual betting, casino gambling, and sports betting activities provided for in this legislation shall be used to maintain the emergency powers fund at a level equal to 10% of prior year receipts of the general fund of the treasury. Any remaining proceeds shall be split between an opportunity fund and the general fund of the state treasury. The Opportunity Fund is hereby created for which funds shall be dispersed for the provision of pre-kindergarten and post-secondary educational services to citizens of the state whose household income is below the median household income in the state. That number is about $58,000. So if you go to a horse track or a casino or place bets on sports inside casinos, the taxation from that will go to fund an emergency powers fund. And that fund will have to be 10% of the annual state revenue that comes into the state. Once you've got 10% of annual state revenue in that fund, then the money will be divided between the general fund of the state and this opportunity fund. And the opportunity fund will be a new scholarship separate from HOPE that is means-tested. So none of the money from horse track betting or the casino will actually flow to the Georgia Lottery Corporation. So none of that money will go to the Hope Scholarship. Now, Pew Research and the Pew Charitable Trusts have done multiple studies on this over the years. Uh, and they have shown uh, consistently that when a state that has a lottery introduces a casino, then the lottery revenue declines. This from Pew Charitable Trust, July of 2017, state lotteries fight jackpot fatigue and casino competition Lottery with lottery proceeds flatter declining and states reluctant to raise taxes to make up the difference. Pressure is mounting to keep players playing and money rolling in. 
the explosive growth of casinos in particular has hurt some lotteries, as in West Virginia, where gamblers are drawn to the state's own casino, as well as casinos in nearby Maryland and Pennsylvania. In West Virginia, the lottery revenue decreased 2.6% in 2016. In Rhode Island, revenue went down 3.2%. In Missouri, revenue went down 3.3% after the introduction of casinos. Every state that has brought a casino into the state has seen a decrease in the lottery revenue. Now, in Georgia, what the state legislature said is that, well, we need the casinos to add additional money to the HOPE scholarship. But what the language of the legislation says is that the money that's generated in casinos will never go to HOPE. It'll go to this new means-tested scholarship instead. That's the plain language of the resolution. Now, the state legislators, if you talk to your state legislator, they're not going to um, they're not going to say this is true. Here's what they're going to say. Jenny Earhart uh, posted this comment to a friend of mine on Facebook. I want to read you what Jenny Earhart, uh, a state house representative, said. I sit on the Regulated Industries Committee, and I can tell you that Eric Erickson is 100% wrong about this resolution. Nothing in it degrades or reduces hope as it currently exists. On the contrary, the addition of mobile sports betting revenue would dramatically increase hope funding. Eric is likely misunderstanding a clause that allows a portion of on-casino site sports betting revenue to go to an opportunity fund to help lower-income families pay for additional out-of-pocket college expenses. This fund is separate. It is not managed by the Georgia Lottery and does not reduce hope. I sent four children to Georgia Public Universities on the Hope Scholarship, and I'm committed to protecting its health and viability. A reminder, the Georgia legislature cannot make the decision to bring casinos or horse racing in Georgia. The decision will be for a November referendum. I would encourage Eric Erickson to debate the merits drawbacks of gambling in Georgia, and he should not misrepresent the resolution. I'm not misrepresenting the resolution. See, what Jenny Earhart is is hanging her hat on is that if you engage in sports betting on your cell phone, that money will go to the lottery. But if you engage in sports betting in a casino, that money won't go to the lottery. Not only will it not go to the lottery, it, it can't go to the lottery under this constitutional resolution that they're passing. So the question is, and Jenny Earhart does not know, how many people will place bets on their phone versus how many will go to the casino? But on top of that, it's not just sports betting. See, they're, they're waving this over here. Sports betting will take care of it. But remember, every state, Pew Charitable Trust has done multiple studies. In every state that's brought in a casino, money to a lottery goes down. This is kind of a no-brainer. If you have the choice between buying a scratch-off ticket at your local convenience store or, or going into a casino and playing the slots and getting free drinks while you're doing it, which one are you going to do? You're going to go to the casino because you get free drinks and, and, and little bites to eat while you're playing the slots. So that money's not going to go to the lottery. And so there's a dollar left. Now, what Jenny Earhart and these Republicans want you to believe is that so many people will be doing sports betting on their phone that you will see a surge of revenue to the lottery. And you don't have to worry about the casino and the horse tracks or the people betting on sports at the casinos. None of that money can go to the lottery, but this mobile sports betting will. What's actually going to happen, which is obvious to anyone with common sense, is that you're going to see a decrease in lottery revenue as people go to the casino. And then you'll see an increase from people doing sports betting on their phone. And all that's going to do is offset what is lost to the casinos. It's not going to actually increase money. We don't know. It's a big gamble. But what we do know is that the state said we needed a casino and we needed a horse track 
to boost money to the Hope Scholarship. And now this legislation says none of that money is allowed to go to the Hope Scholarship. It's got to go to this new fund that will compete against the Hope Scholarship. So long-term, what's going to happen? Long-term, what's going to happen is, and, and what about this year where there is no sports betting? I mean, there's no sports this year. So you build a casino, you got no sports. Well, you're clearly going to hurt the Hope Scholarship. But sports comes back. If you go to a casino and you start making bets on the games at the casino, well, the clear language of the statute says that money doesn't go to Hope. It goes somewhere else. See, what I'm getting at is, is they're killing Hope without telling you they're killing Hope. Many of them probably don't even realize. Like Jenny Erner, take her at her word. She doesn't think she's killing Hope. She's just bought into this, that, that gambling will actually, gambling will do us some good. We'll be able to do this new competing scholarship to Hope. But there's a bitter irony here when you call your state legislator and your state legislator denies that they're killing hope. Why do we need the new fund? Why do we need this opportunity fund? Why do we need it? If all the money went to hope, all those kids, as long as they have a 3.0, would be covered. So what's the new fund for? If not to means test what would otherwise be the Hope Scholarship? That's where we're headed here. I, I hope you, I'm making sense to you guys because the plain language of this legislation will deprive the Hope Scholarship of the very money the legislature said it needed. The, the state House of Representatives said we needed a casino and horse track betting because we needed additional revenue for Hope, and they've structured the legislation to prevent a penny of that money from ever going to Hope. It goes to an emergency fund that the legislature controls, a slush fund for the speaker, if you will. There's going to be corruption there, I guarantee it. And then the rest of the money will, will go to this opportunity fund that will be means tested. None of those dollars will go to the Hope Scholarship. The only money that will go to the Hope Scholarship is the money from sports betting that doesn't occur in a casino. But the casino, the horse track and sports betting inside the casino, that all goes to this new fund. And we know from study after study after study after study after study after study that you bring a casino in, you bring a horse track in, you see a decline in lottery revenue. So the sports betting that happens outside the casino is just going to put back the money that should have already been there, and it's not going to add any more money. I mean, the whole reason for bringing casinos into the state of Georgia was to increase the availability of money for hope. And now the way the House of Representatives has structured this, not only is it not going to get any more money, they're going to do a competing fund that they wouldn't even need to do if they boosted the Hope Scholarship. I mean, that gives away the lie, does it not? That should tell you right there what the problem is here. Why do you need a competing means-tested scholarship when you could just expand hope, an opportunity through hope? You don't create a new means-tested scholarship if you plan to keep hope around and fund it. You don't bring in a casino and say, well, we're never going to give hope any of that money, the hope scholarship any of that money, if you plan to keep hope. And then let's look at the political side of it. You have this opportunity fund to disperse funds for pre-kindergarten and post-secondary educational services to citizens of the state whose household income is below the median household income in the state. Look how the Republicans have caved on everything else for the Democrats in the last couple of weeks. When the Democrats come and say, hey, why are you giving to hope when you could give to the opportunity fund that helps poor people? Why are you screwing the poor people and helping the rich kids whose parents could pay to send them to college? Where do you think the Republicans are going to send money? Do you really think they're going to keep funding hope?
They're going to kill hope with this. The smart ones know it. The ones who don't know it, they're just going along with their leadership. You need to take action on this and stop them from doing this. It will kill hope. Using their own argument, their own argument has been we need casinos and horse tracks to save hope. And now their own legislation says not a penny of the money from casinos and horse tracks can ever go to hope. They're going to kill hope. Text the word ACTION to 55444. Text the word ACTION to 55444. You need to save hope. Your state house representative Republicans are going to kill the Hope Scholarship by doing this, and they're denying it. They're calling me a liar. All I'm doing is reading you the legislation. All I'm doing is telling you what every economic study has ever shown. You bring in a casino, it decreases lottery proceeds. In Georgia, they said that was going to happen, but so much more money would be generated from the lottery or from the casino that it would it would boost the Hope Scholarship. And now they're saying that, well, we're not actually going to spend the money from the casinos on the Hope Scholarship, so we're going to decrease funding to the lottery by the casinos, and we're not actually going to give that money back to Hope. Oh, but, well, people place bets on their phone with sports, and that'll that'll do it. Yeah, all that will do is put the money back that should have been there to begin with. It won't add anything extra. These Republicans are going to kill the Hope Scholarship if you don't get up and angry with them right now. Yeah, you can text ARMY to 33777. That puts you on the action alerts, but there is an action alert you need to take action on right now, which means you need to text ACTION to 55444. Call your state rep uh, because this actually is it's a big thing. And you, you need to understand that uh, what they're doing will kill the Hope Scholarship by their own logic. By their own logic, they said we need casinos and horse track betting to supplement the uh, the Hope Scholarship. And now by their legislation, they're saying none of that money will ever go to the Hope Scholarship. And we know from every state that's brought in casinos, they see a decrease in lottery revenue, which means they're going to see a decrease in the lottery revenue that funds Hope. It's going to undermine the Hope Scholarship, and they can't really argue with it. All they can do is call names. Uh, so so stand strong on this. Take action. Don't let them weasel out of it because you know what they're going to say. We're not really killing Hope. We're going to bring in sports betting. And yeah, but you're going to decrease the money otherwise to the lottery by bringing in the casino. That money is going to go elsewhere. Why? Why do you need a new fund when you could just fully fund the Hope Scholarship? That's the question they can't answer. Why do you need a new opportunity fund to help underprivileged kids when they would benefit if you fully funded the Hope Scholarship? They can't answer that question, which gives you the answer that they're killing the Hope Scholarship, and some of them know it. Uh, they're also going to kill local businesses as they bring in casinos. Uh, and I'm going to talk to Alan Vila from the Fox Theater when we come back about the impact uh, that this legislation will have on them. Right now, though, I want to go to Cliff and Warner Robins, one of my favorite places. Cliff, how are you? I'm great. I hope you are, too. Uh, I am. Glad What's you going had on? A few days off last week to enjoy. So oh, Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, my comment is on the hate crime bill. I know you have some pull that I don't have. I, I would like for you to think about it and maybe talk to some of the legislators about I'm glad they included police, but what about hate crime for for wearing a mega cap or being a Trump supporter or being a yeah. safety Abrams supporter? There's no more people hated in America than than Trump supporters. I mean, I'm using that now, but it could be Democrats four years right. from now. Well, I'm, it, you know, so we you know some, that they pulled police out of it. Uh, they, they put it in in the mm-hmm. Senate, and then the next day they took it out. Uh, so police aren't in there, and and political uh, issues aren't in there either, which they should have put in. They, the Republicans were so scared. And this, by the way, Cliff, this is why they're going to cave 
when the Democrats start saying, don't fund hope, fund this new scholarship, look how easily they folded on hate crimes. Now, we all knew it was going to pass. They didn't want to pick a fight, but they did some really troubling things, including one of the things is uh, the police will uh, now if, if someone comes and says you've committed a hate crime on them, the police will be obligated to do a report. And then that person can take the police report and expose your personal information. That's in the law. That's in the law. Uh, the victim, the supposed victim, even though you've never been found guilty of it or charged, you were just accused that they can force the police to write a report and then expose your personal information. That That's in the law. Uh, they drop police and they can't run from the headline. Fox News has a big story that Republicans abandoned the police and first responders to rush to pass the Democrats hate crimes legislation. Uh, they should get deemed for that. Now, what they did do in fairness to the Republicans, they wrote a separate piece of legislation that protects the police and first responders. So they got their own law. But political thought is what a lot of conservatives said should be in there. And they took that one out. Uh, they didn't. The lieutenant governor wanted that one, and they scrapped it. Uh, they also scrapped this. This will embolden the Paul Howards of the world. Aggressive prosecutors will be able to use the hate crimes legislation. They'll be able to accuse you of a hate crime, and it'll be tacked on with the judge. A, a politically motivated prosecutor. It'll never go before a jury. The jury will never have to decide. The prosecutor and the judge themselves, both of whom are on the ballot, can say you're guilty of a hate crime and there's nothing anybody can do about it. It was a terrible piece of legislation. It's also actually a very weak piece of legislation, but they rushed it through because they didn't want the bad press. When the when the Opportunity Scholarship and the Hope Scholarship are both starved for funds, who do you think the Republicans are going to go with? Uh, the, the, peop- the cries of the Democrats that you're hurting the poor or everybody else? Do you even need to ask yourself that question? They are totally going to kill the Hope Scholarship by doing what they're doing, and they know it. Been talking about what the uh, casino, if a casino came to Georgia, and, you know, originally the original plan was just for one casino, and and the House has revised it to an unlimited number, provided, of course, that uh, voters and counties agree But one of the issues is that it would also have a devastating impact on local businesses, particularly restaurants and entertainment venues, because what they've insisted on in the legislature is that if a casino comes in, a certain percentage of revenue must come from entertainment and from food to guarantee a certain level of tax revenue that could then go into uh, this slush fund that the legislature would oversee in this new opportunity scholarship that would compete with hope. One of the businesses that would really be impacted if, if you brought a casino anywhere near the metro Atlanta area undoubtedly is uh, the Fox Theater, just like the Georgia Theater in Athens. Uh, joining me by phone, Alan Vila is the president and CEO of the Fox Theater, one of the, the greatest venues in the state of Georgia. And Alan, I hadn't had a chance to talk to you, and, and thank you so much for the, the picture you guys sent me. I, I so appreciate what y'all did. Put my name in lights at the Fox. I love that. Well, I thought it was your great opportunity to finally see yourself in lights at the Fox Marquee. Absolutely. And I didn't have to put on stage makeup or anything to make it happen. (laughs) Right. You got off easy. (laughs) Yes. All right. So from your vantage point, uh, if if they this has been a big concern for restaurants and entertainment venues, the legislature wants to guarantee that certain entertainment and, and revenue comes from the casino, which I think would then allow these MGM, for example, they could uh, subsidize the cost of performances that would otherwise go to the Fox. 
That, that's exactly true. And, and we, you know, we started this coalition back uh, in 2015. We have about 50 members from around the states, everywhere from uh, Ella J all the way down to Brunswick and to Columbus and to uh, uh, Springfield. So the the challenge is uh, casinos generally use entertainment as a loss leader. Um, so they can pay uh, some of these artists uh, one, two, or three times more than they normally receive. Um, and, and then what it really does is it just upsets the market, and it's no longer a level playing field for uh, facilities like the Fox. And it's put some theaters out of business, and it, it's really generated a lot of challenges for my colleagues all over the country. So uh, we're definitely not crying wolf. Well, it, and, you know, I, I keep thinking that one of the plans floated, Ron Stevens, who's the big champion of casinos in the legislature, is from Savannah, that they want something on Hutchins Island or, or something like that. But uh, you've got entertainment venues in Savannah or even in Athens uh, that also would be impacted. In addition, uh, the restaurant industry is concerned about it because you, they'd bring in all the the, the star chefs and, and do stuff like that. I, I don't see how anyone can say this wouldn't impact uh, local businesses. Oh, it most certainly will. And, and what happens is when casinos pay a premium for an artist, they'll they'll impose radius clauses and clauses related to when that artist can come back to the market. So if, if there's two or three casinos um, in the state and they impose a 100 to 150 mile radius clause and prevent an artist from returning, and oftentimes those casinos get first right of refusal for that artist to return, it, it's going to block out many, many uh, theaters all throughout uh, the state from being able to obtain some of those artists. And, and right now, it's a level playing field. Uh, we all compete uh, for the same artists from at the same price, and may the best man win. And the big challenge for us is that, uh, you know, the artists will receive 85 to 90% of the net ticket revenue. So really, we're in the popcorn business. So all theaters and entertainment venues are really in the ancillary business. Um, and uh, if, if we have to pay two or three times more for that artist, there's no way that we can possibly compete. So uh, you know, having the casino revenue or the gaming revenue is really an unfair advantage for the rest of the venues. Yeah, it really does sound like it, uh, particularly if they're using it as a loss leader, which you guys can't do. And, and, and speaking of loss leaders and losses right now, you're also having to deal with the financial impact of the virus. Can you talk about how the virus is impacting you guys? Oh, it's, it's been tremendous. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we had to start canceling events back in March. Um, so we've we've canceled over 50 performances beginning in March with Miss Saigon. Um, and we're one of the first to close and we'll definitely be the last to open. So it's been devastating uh, to us and our staff. Uh, so we, we are dark right now uh, and we're doing some work and repair and some restoration while we have that time off. And the challenge is, is that uh, though the executive order the governor issued recently recently was very helpful to us uh, by insisting on um, social distancing, which we understand is a public health issue. Um, it only provides us with about 20% of our capacity. So it's impossible for live entertainment facilities, especially those like us with fixed seats, to operate with 80% of the overhead, but only 20% of the revenue. Um, so we're, we really need to see that uh, you know, you know, the, the public come back and operate at 100% capacity when the public health officials say it's safe to do so. So you've got that environment uh, dealing with the virus, uh, not able to operate at capacity and add into the mix casinos. And, and you really are looking at a, a completely upended market for entertainment venues in the state. 
Yeah, a- absolutely. And and we are really challenged by this. And the threat of casinos really concerns us greatly. You know, and the Fox is a nonprofit and, and our board has always directed us to be uh, self-sustaining. Um, so we don't ask for contributed revenue or donations like a lot of other nonprofits. So it'll make us it'll make it very, very difficult for us to compete uh, in that landscape. Gosh, uh, what would you, what do you, what do you got to, I'm sure that I know actually, cause I'm getting text messages from some of them, although they, they tend to already be sympathetic to your cause, but what do you want the legislature to know about, uh, the, the casinos? What, what would you tell them is the bottom line here? You know, I've done my best to educate them, and I started with Ron Stevens because I felt that maybe he didn't realize uh, they, these were unintended consequences. What we what we said as a coalition is if the Georgians want gaming, that's fine, but we don't believe they should uh, upend our industry because a lot of our facilities are tax-subsidized or built by the taxpayers. They're not all nonprofits uh, like the Fox. And what we say is if, if, if Georgians want gaming, that's fine, but, you know, the casino should not get the free reign to have entertainment venues. Build it without entertainment venues, and that seems to work for quite a few states uh, throughout the country. If they're going to get the majority of the revenue that's going to go eventually to the taxpayers uh, through the casino floor, fine, if that's what people want. But otherwise, they're not allowed to really upend our market and take over our business. Yeah, I guess that, that that would that would be a fair compromise, and it's unfortunate. I've seen some of the plans floating out there from from some of them would re- require guaranteed minimums from restaurants and entertainment just to make sure that they could prop up this new scholarship and stuff. And man, it it just it, it does talking to you I, I, even before the virus. I knew there would be bad consequences, but gosh, if they went down this road with the entertainment venues, it, it really would just be devastating. Yeah, and it'll devastate venues all throughout the state. It's not just strictly a Fox issue. I mean, it's a regulated industry, so I believe Georgia legislatures, legislators should set the rules. Don't let the casino set the rules. We should set the rules for what's best for Georgia. Uh, well, as as we're seeing from the casino lobbyist money pouring in when the legislature sets the rules, it looks like it's going to be the casino setting the rules. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid so. It feels like a David and Goliath situation, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it really does. Well, listen, I, I first, th- thanks very much for stopping by, and I, I can't wait to get back to the Fox. Uh, and I know you guys have had a really, really rough time, but I'm, I'm excited to see all the stuff y'all have been doing while while you've been dark. And gosh, I'm just, I, I hate it for you guys and for everybody else out there who's been having to deal with it. Well, thank you. We appreciate your support and everybody's support in Georgia. And, and we can't wait to open up our doors again and welcome everybody back. Uh, thank you so much. Alan Vila uh, is the president and CEO of the Fox Theater. If you've never been, it really is worth going to the Fox when the lights can come back on and the curtain can rise again. One of the points that needs to be made here is it's not just them, as Alan noted. It is the Georgia Theater in Athens. It is the entertainment venues in Savannah. It is the Macon Auditorium in Macon. It is in in Carrollton, you've got a a civic auditorium. In Rome, you do as well. Uh, Around the state, you have these venues, and they bring in concerts. They bring in musical groups. And they will be hurt if the casino has an entertainment venue. You know, I I think it's a good compromise on that side of things from the entertainment side of uh, if they build the casino, don't let them build the um, 
don't let them build the restaurant or don't let them build the entertainment venue at the casino. Make it gambling only. Uh, restrict the casino's options to protect these local businesses. And, you know, you do need to understand here, like Ron Stevens and, and some of these other guys, uh, Micah Gravely and some of the others, they've gotten money from the casino lobbyists. A lot of people are saying, well, why are they rushing? Well, first of all, they like to gamble. Second of all, they don't want to go out of state to gamble. And third, they've got the casino lobbyists whispering in their ears, telling them it's all going to be okay. Haley Barber, uh, who uh, lobbies for the casinos, is in has been seen in the state capitol before they rushed this through and tried to do this. He was seen in the state capitol. He, he lobbies for casinos. He's a very wily politician. And... I think he would be um, he'd be an interesting person to talk to about this one time. Uh, but you can also see his hand involved in this. You can see that he uh, and and these casino lobbyists are pulling the strings behind the scenes. And the, you need to understand the casino lobbyists don't care about the Hope Scholarship. And they've convinced they got to convince the Georgia Republicans they're not going to really upend the Hope Scholarship. But you and I know they are. Why do you have to set up a separate fund if this isn't going to hurt the Hope Scholarship? Why do you have to set up a separate fund? Because the kids who would benefit from the separate fund would benefit from a fully funded Hope Scholarship. And you guys in the legislature said you needed casinos and horse tracks to fully fund the Hope Scholarship. And now your own legislation says that money's not going to Hope. It's going to this new thing. That's means tested. Y'all, you, you, I hope you realize what's happening here. But I also hope you realize you, you have a voice and you can be heard. And I want to help you. Uh, if you text the word ACTION to 55444, you can call your state representative. Uh, those of you who are in Macon with me, Dale Washburn, to my knowledge, uh, is on the Regulated Industry Committee. And I don't know that he opposed it. And Dale Washburn should oppose it. He does not need to be on the side of killing hope. And this legislation would ultimately kill hope. It is not by design. Let's be clear here. It is not by design. They're not setting. I mean, no one in their right mind would campaign and say, kill hope. Let's kill hope. But it is the natural end result when you tell us that we need casinos to prop up hope and then you tell us none of the money from the casino will go to hope and you have Ginny Earhart and others say, well, no, actually there'll be sports betting outside of casinos and that'll go to fund the lottery. Yes, but we know when casinos come into states, lotteries see a decline in revenue. So all the sports betting outside of the casinos will do is put the money in the lottery back to where it was when you said we needed the casino to add more money to, to hope. You're, you're causing a deficit, and, and when you're backfilling, all you're doing is getting up to where we are. But you said where we are isn't enough. We need more, and now you're saying, no, no, that more is going to go to this new thing that's going to be means-tested and compete with hope. None of it makes sense when you follow them through their arguments. And all they can do is say, I'm a liar, and all I'm doing is reading the legislation. If I'm a liar, then their words are lies because all I'm doing is reading you what their legislation says. If I'm a liar, then you're a liar because you can see what's happening here.
Now, I, I do have to have one. My people get touchy on this stuff. I said the Zell Miller scholarship gives you full ride. I'm, I'm, you should see the emails coming in from people who heard. No, no, it's only full tuition. I'm sorry. I should be more precise with my words. It is full tuition uh, with the Zell Miller scholarship, not a full ride. Uh, goodness gracious. Um, quibble about the words and, and miss the point. Um, and the Zell Miller scholarship and the Hope scholarship, you're not going to see as much money come to those. If this goes through, all I can do is tell you what's going on. They can call me a liar. You know, the, the, the speaker of the house who supported the hate crimes legislation and, and has killed the religious liberty legislation. The speaker of the house called me a liberal for wanting to save the hope scholarship. And that should tell you everything you need to know about the speaker of the house right now, doing the bidding of the Democrats and the left and calling me a liberal talk about projection. Um, but all I'm doing is reading the legislation for you, and you need to take action. I can't I can't pick up the phone for you. I can't call your state representative. I can tell every single person in Macon, uh, when you see Dale Washburn, give him an earful. He's my state representative here in Macon. The rest of you, the rest of you, uh, you need to go to text the word action to 55444. Text the word ACTION to 55444, and there's a little phone icon. You put in your name and, and your information, and your cell phone will ring. And you'll hear my voice say, I'm going to connect you to your state representative. Tell them to oppose the casino, and you give them holy hell for wanting to kill the Hope Scholarship, and they're going to lie to you, and they're going to say, we're not really killing Hope. Eric's a liar. He's misrepresenting it. And you're going to say, why do we need the separate fund? What, what, why, 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 do we, why do we need this? And, and they're going to say, well, we, we want to help the underprivileged kids. And, and you're going to say to them, but you told us we needed the casino to increase Hope revenue, and now you're saying the casino revenue isn't going to go to Hope. And then, well, sports betting, and then you're going to ask them, well, how much sports betting is going to happen in casinos and not happen in casinos? Because your legislation says if it happens in casinos, it's not going to go to Hope. And they're going to say, well, we don't know, but it's going to be a lot. And you're going to say, how much is a lot? Is it enough to offset the people who are no longer buying lottery tickets because they're going to the casino? And they'll say, Ugh. they are desperate for a casino. And understand this, they're getting a lot of money from casino lobbyists. And that's why they're doing it. It always happens. I, I, I open Slack and it crashes on me uh, as soon as I open it up. But wait, there is news. Where is this? Uh, da, 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 da. Come on, Slack. Reopen. This story is just too good. Um, bum, 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 um, 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 Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Oh, don't you hate it when, you're, when your software crashes right as you need it? Yes. Here we go. Guess what? Remember how they weren't going to invest any money in the state of Georgia uh, if they passed the pro-life legislation? No money in the state of Georgia because they passed the pro-life legislation. Uh, it turns out, it turns out that Hollywood plans to invest millions in the state of Georgia. Hollywood intends to invest millions of dollars in the state of Georgia. Now, at this moment, why? Because it's a great place to do business. Remember they told us if you pass if you pass the fetal heartbeat legislation, Hollywood's bailing, you had Alyssa Milano come in 
Uh, you, you got Alyssa Milano come in, and she says we're going to boycott the state. And what does the boycott of the state look like? Well, it looks like um, you actually are going to see all sorts of investments come into the state of Georgia from Hollywood. Now, the, it has its downside, of course, because you're going to see the the legislature try to hump Hollywood's leg. Uh, you're never going to get religious liberty legislation in, in the state of Georgia. Of course, that's pretty much killed anyway. It's amazing. The legislature in Georgia will give the left their hate crimes legislation, but they won't give you religious liberty legislation. But it also does go to show you that so much of what you're told is a lie these days. I mean, you, you had people in the legislature say they, they couldn't vote for the fetal heartbeat legislation because it would kill the economy and there would be boycotts and we couldn't do that. You had Hollywood say that and yet they folded. They have folded. Um, and now they're going to invest all sorts of money in the state of Georgia. And you just need to understand that you were lied to the whole time. The media lied to you and they tried to scare you. And the Republicans were willing to stand up. And, and what did it do? And now you see the Republicans folding on all this sort of stuff. They're, they're folding on the casinos. They're folding on the hate crimes. They're, they're, they're bending over backwards to coddle the left. And they're scared. That's one thing you need to realize is the Republicans in Georgia right now are scared of losing and they're scared of losing the suburbs. I got to tell you guys, let's just let, let let's uh, uh, the hope scholarship. Do you think suburban moms are going to vote for Republicans after they tried to kill the hope scholarship? Do you really think they want to vote for the Republicans after the Republicans tried to kill the hope scholarship? Seriously? Um, and, and they can say all they want. Well, I love the hope. I mean, like Jenny Earhart says, I, I put my kids through school on hope. I'm not trying to kill the scope scholarship. We're going to allow sports betting outside casinos. That money's going to go to hope. Well, then why do you need the competing fund, Jenny? Why do you need the competing fund? And why did members of the legislature tell us we needed casinos to help hope? If you're now not going to give hope that money. All you got to do is is get them by their own words. They're going to deny. Well, I never said that. I it was some other member of the legislature. What Ron Stevens said. It's what the senators who supported it said. It's what Alan Powell said. Are they going to deny they said it? Because they said it last year. They said it the year before. We got to save hope. We need a casino to save hope. You got to take action, folks. Uh, one of the things I, I've said this before. One of the things I've always never liked about really a, a lot of the conservative movement is they want to feed you a grievance. And in feeding you a grievance, they don't actually want to give you a way to make it better. Uh, I don't want to do to you what the left does on this this police reform stuff. They, they want to feed a grievance. They don't want to actually pass any meaningful reform for police. Uh, they, they just want to feed a grievance for their base. A lot of Republicans and conservatives like to do that as well. They want to feed a grievance. I want you to fix things. I want a better world but I can't do it alone. I need your help. If you live in Macon, you find Dale Washburn and you tell him you better kill this casino because it'll hurt hope and don't believe him when he denies it because he's just scared of the speaker. He didn't want to tell you the truth. The rest of you text ACTION to 55444. If you live in Macon, you tell John Kennedy as well, a friend of mine, I'll text him myself and say, you better kill this legislation from the House because it'll hurt the Hope Scholarship. He better know it. Take action, folks. Take action.